look, I, I've got to be real. I'm not going on a trip with anybody that I just met. This is messy. You are messy. Your brain is broke. Hey fam, we are back. Stay watching is back. As always, I'm your host, Larry. This week on the podcast, uh, a little bit of a teaser taste as we move towards season three, officially starting of the podcast. I am vaccinated. Movies are coming out. So you know what that means. Monday at the movies is back. And this week I've got three very interesting movies that I'm going to share some thoughts on. You know, again, you know, as we move into this new season, I'm trying my best to keep my takes short and sweet. I really want you to kind of make that decision of, is this something that I'm gonna check out? And I'm just gonna give you kind of my, you know, 5,000 foot view. If there's something that I really love or really enjoy, I might be recording a more in-depth episode later with spoilers and everything like that. So with that in mind, this week I'm going to be telling you about Zola, Summer of Soul, and The Forever Purge. So hold on, I'll be right back. Hi, you want to hear a story about how me and this bitch fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. You want to go somewhere with me? The first movie that I have to talk about today is Zola. So if you're not familiar with Zola or you're not sure what Zola is, basically it is a film based off of a Twitter thread. And that might sound kind of wild, but the Twitter thread is wild. It follows the story of a falling out between the titular Zola character um, and this random woman that she met at her job and this is a wild ride that involves stripping and the sex trafficking and you know violence bad dudes lots of money it is a wild harrowing tale but this film much like the twitter thread that it's based on is the source of a lot of laughs. Um, you know, I really have to give it up to Jenixa Bravo, who directed this film uh, and also helped write it, uh, as well as Jeremy O'Harris, who are adapting these tweets from Isaiah King, who's better known on Twitter as, you know, she was Zola or is Zola. Um, you know, they take this, this story that, you know, honestly, in certain hands could have just been this really harrowing, you know, really difficult story to uh, take or accept. And, you know, they were able to retain a lot of the humor from the way that the tweets were written. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's really great because the acting performances in this film, you know, really there, there are three that are right at the top for me in this film. Taylor Page, who plays Zola, um, incredibly understated as our kind of, uh, you know, really in, in this tale, Zola in a sense is our, our 
when we're talking about TV, when we're talking about other movies, you know, she would be our POV character, the person who is the stand in for the audience, because, you know, frankly, like this is her story. We are with her as she's trying to figure out the situation with this character, Stephanie, who's brilliantly played by Riley Keough. Really, really just I, I cannot begin to describe how strange and hilarious and unnerving, uh, but also kind of deeply sad this character is. Um, and again, Riley Keough just, just plays her perfectly. Really the other two characters that that make up our, our kind of main quartet that we're following through this film, uh, Nicholas Brown Braun uh, plays Derek, who is Stephanie's boyfriend lover it's kind of unclear but like he you know without giving away too much of the story if you don't really know what it's about it's you know he is is playing somebody deeply in love with somebody who is in a really bad situation and he is just kept at arm's length and how that that messes with him and and again nicholas brown just does such a great job of kind of bringing that out of that character and you know again being another person that you kind of feel for but at the same time you realize that like they are their own kind of worst enemy in this story and, and finally, you know, again, rounding out that that quartet, we have Coleman Domingo, who will just refer to his character as X. And, um, you know, Coleman Domingo, I, I, if you're not familiar with him, he is, you know, one of I have to be real. Like, I think he's one of the hottest actors out right now. Um, he's doing stuff from, you know, he's been on Fear of the Walking Dead to Euphoria, to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. This guy can really do it all. I mean, he's in If Beale Street Could Talk. I, I, there, there's a bunch of different things that I can name that he's in, and he is quite fantastic in all of them. And so, you know, in this, in this performance, we get him, you know, as as polished and smooth as he can be, but also diabolical and awful. And, you know, again, I think that really just kind of sums up this whole movie. It is a really kind of beautiful, but at the same time, dirty, frustrating, harrowing film. And, you know, again, I think, I think audiences will, there's, there's, there's going to be different audiences that are going to gravitate towards this movie. There are going to be some people who this is going to be a little too much for people. I, I, I'm going to be frank. Like if you are, if you're a bit of a prude, you know, if you look down on sex work, if you, those are things that might prevent you from being able to enjoy this movie. And, you know, frankly, if that's how you are, I would probably say you just, tell you to steer clear but if you can kind of move past thinking about those things and letting them get in the way of you enjoying a really interesting but again harrowing tale told incredibly funnily uh or in in a very humorous manner um you know i think this is going to be a really good movie for a lot of people to check out one last thing you know again because i am a visual person i do have to speak to one of the things that i thought was really kind of 
interesting in the film. It's the cinematography. Just about every time I talk about a movie that I'm really all about, cinematography does kind of play into it. This film, the cinematographer was Ari Wagner. Uh, Ari Wegner. Sorry about that. Um, he is also the direct, he was the DP on the true history of the Kelly gang. Um, he did episodes of the girlfriend experience, Lady Macbeth, um, and, and other TV and film projects. And, you know, there's a really interesting dreamlike quality to this film, uh, which I think works really well. Um, you know, when I say dreamlike, what I mean is there is a softness uh, to the way that it's shot that makes it feel like we are watching a fantasy. And in a sense, it, it, it kind of works because this is a retelling of somebody's experiences that they had put in a tweet. And, you know, when we look at the actual tweet story itself, it has kind of transcended from just being this thing that's online to being kind of a modern myth. So, so taking this softer approach to it, creating this dreamlike feel for the story makes perfect sense for a modern myth. So again, you know, I would definitely implore you if you're a big fan of, you know, if you're a big fan of interesting tales, this is one of the most interesting. Um, I think this is it's a it's a lot of fun as well as being, you know, incredibly, incredibly harrowing. Um, definitely check it out. If you have not read the tweet thread yet, I would actually advise you to wait to read the tweet thread until after you've seen the movie, um, just so, you know, you can kind of have that full experience with it. You know, go back, read the tweet thread after you've seen the movie. There are certain elements that were not included in the thread that I guess came up when the director writers were talking to um, Zola about the story. So. Um, it's, it's really kind of interesting to take a look back and see what wasn't in there and, and kind of what got added to this film. So definitely from me, a strong recommend knowing that this film isn't going to be for all audiences. I was a little kid. I remember being with my family, walking around the park. And as far as I could see, it was just black people. This was the first time I'd ever seen so many of us. It was incredible. What you just heard there was a clip from Summer of Soul, a new documentary directed by Questlove. Um, you know, even though this is Monday, at the movies, technically speaking, you do not need to go to a movie theater to see this film. Uh, we are lucky enough that this documentary is available on Hulu. So if you have it, I strongly recommend watching it right now. There's not a whole lot that I'm going to go into on this one. You know, I will say straight up that I think this is a much must watch documentary, especially if two really big things. If you love music, you need to see it. And if you love black people, you need to see it. Uh, if one of those things is true, go see it. If both of them are 
are true watch it right now just just shut my podcast off and go watch this film i think it is a really beautiful look at a piece of history that I guess the, the easiest way for me to put this is that we've been deprived of for around 50 years. So in 1969, there was this Harlem Cultural Festival, uh, you know, think about all of the stuff that was going on in the 60s, all of kind of where America was at. Harlem needed this cultural festival. It brought all of these different types of musical acts together from soul to jazz to, um, you know, like the the burgeoning disco era kind of people. Um, and, and it just kind of brought all of these different people together in a sense in a response to what had been going on in the country during the 60s and the upheaval in the civil rights movement and you know the the awakening of the black power movement and you know as kind of as kind of black people started to own their blackness more and so it, it, it's really interesting you know sitting here as you know, I'm going to age myself for this particular episode, but as a 34 year old black man who never knew this event took place, it, you know, it's just so interesting, you know, sitting there watching this, seeing all of these various acts, seeing all of these amazing black folk in the crowd, thinking about the history that surrounds this and just realizing I had no idea that any of this occurred. And, you know, in, in my lifetime, quite frankly, like there's never been anything quite like this, you know, sure. We have stuff like Afropunk and it's, it's interesting and it's different, but it, it, it's not the same as something like this. And, you know, I, I, I can't really put it into words as, as well as this film, uh, puts it all out there and 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 one of the ways in which they do that is you know you think about a music documentary and sometimes you just expect music historians and musicians to be the ones commenting on what you're seeing but you know we're talking about something that happened within the lifetimes of people who are still alive and so this documentary we hear sound from people that actually attended this concert we hear from people who performed during this concert and you know we get to hear from people who you know might have been doing work you know alongside this thing and so I, th I think it does a really good job of of showing us what went into creating this this festival, uh, what went into bringing these acts together, but also why it was so necessary and, and kind of what in the world, what in America precipitated this event. And, you know, it, it, it is wild to me thinking about the fact that this festival happened same year as Woodstock and Woodstock really just kind of exploded into the zeitgeist and became this thing that everybody knew. Uh, but this black festival was kind of lost to history. And, you know, I really have to applaud, you know, Questlove and the whole crew that worked on this because, you know, 
dusting off these these 50 year old you know film reels and and whatnot to to really piece together this piece of missing history you know it it, it was a task that i'm i'm thankful that they undertook because it's so hard to put into words you know early in this documentary you know really the first performance that we see is stevie wonder and and for me growing up stevie wonder was my dad's favorite artist and so i every saturday morning just about I was woken up to Stevie Wonder's music and it meant, you know, it was time to get the day started. Maybe we were cooking breakfast. Maybe it was time to go out and mow the lawn. But like that was a part of my childhood. And, you know, I I think a lot of the music that exists in this documentary holds that place for so many people, whether it's your childhood, whether it's your teenage years, if you're quite a bit older than I am, or, you know, however it may touch you. Like if you are a black person in America and soul music um, was a piece of your life, you know, this documentary has something that that kind of touches in there. And and again, you know, it's it's beyond just soul. There's there's jazz, there's there's you know, the Caribbean influence, there's there's the the Puerto Rican music, there is gospel, there is all of these pieces that come together and and really, you know, again, show in so many ways that that you know, that that African diaspora you know, does not create this, you know, kind of monolithic idea of blackness, but that as as I always say, as we always talk about, you know, and it contains multitudes, it, it shows all of these different variations and all of these different, in a sense, responses to a lot of the, the harm, a lot of the violence that has historically been inflicted upon black people in this country and in the world and and so to really be able to have that conversation through this music you know i I, again i i can't say enough about just how especially where we are at right now you know i i think a lot about how much like i hate the phrase racial reckoning but you know it's impossible to not be contending with ideas of of you know uh, our our racial identity and our place in this country and this documentary about an event that took place 50 years ago does such a good job of of really showing why this event is still relevant today and I, and I think that that's something that's really kind of beautiful there's a timelessness to the music featured here to the artists performing and and to the attitudes that people had going to watch this music and so you know again i i I really want to implore everybody who has an interest in any of this stuff to watch this film I, i i don't think you will regret it help me The bridge is over. No, no. This is a forever bridge. Uh, it's never stopping. Are you in there? Thank you for your participation. 
That's right, the time has come again for another purge, but this time we are talking about the forever purge. Uh, it, it, look, look, I, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna try to keep this short and sweet. The purge movies are not necessarily great movies. I think they are interesting movies. The, the best way to put this is probably that the Purge films are a lot of great ideas, not always executed in the best way, and this new Purge is no different. Uh, the way that I would probably personally describe this film was this was the inevitable place that the Purge films would go. It is really a response to four years of the Trump presidency and before that, the, the kind of burgeoning uh, rebirth of this kind of, look, let me stop dancing around it. All right, this film is a direct response to the, to the Make America Great Again movement. Um, it's a response to anti-immigrants. Uh, it is a response to people that don't want to accept or, or don't want to really contend with America's truth. You know, the fact that this country was stolen from indigenous peoples, that that's what this film is. And look, it's, it's a purge film. There's, there's no subtlety to any of that stuff. All of it is, is just right there on the face of this film. And, you know, look, frankly, I, I don't necessarily think that is a bad thing. I think sometimes, look, sometimes you just need to be blunt. Sometimes you need to smash something with a rock. Um, Frankly, the film is as entertaining as you would expect a Purge film to be. There's some shocking moments. There's some decent action. Um, and again, you know, a, a really blunt message. Uh, there, I think, again, different audiences are going to feel different ways about the things that happen in this film. Um, I'm not going to spoil them here. I I actually may do an extended conversation about the Forever Purge. I, I may try to find somebody who really wants to talk about this film and, and take some time and sit down with them and, and kind of share my thoughts and hear their thoughts. Because, look, in some ways, this film is not interesting because it's too blatant. It's too obvious. It's too blunt. But in other ways, I think, you know, for something that is a summer blockbuster, I mean, look, the, the Purge films are, are cheap to make and always make a lot of money for them. Um, I, I saw this film on July 4th and look, you know, we're coming off a pandemic there. There's still not a ton of people going out to the movies, but there's a good number of them. And, you know, of the three films that I watched in theaters that in this that I'm talking about in this episode, the Forever Purge was the one that had the largest audience in attendance. So, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if this is successful. What I will say without getting too much into spoilers is I firmly believe that this should be the last 
purge film that we get. Um, you know, and I, and I don't want to go into that anymore for people who, you know, really may be looking to go see this film. I do not want to spoil where they go with things or how it ends, but you know, I, I firmly want to say that this is the, the where it ends is a place that I feel they can be done with purge films. Uh, I, I don't know if they have anything left to say, and I don't know if it's going to be as interesting if they continue to try to make these. And you know, again, I, I'm just going to leave it there. I, I want people to see this film, not because I think it's great, but I think it's it's something worth talking about. And, you know, really contextually speaking, it is it's going to be an interesting artifact of this time period, you know, in 20 years, you know, I really want to look at where is our country? Where is our conversation around immigration, around race, around American history? What does that look like? And, you know, how does, how do we, how do we reconcile something? How do we consider something like the forever purge or, or really you know, the kind of the purge series overall, you know, because we're talking about films that range from talking about kind of like the haves and the have nots, the, the kind of financial structures of this country and, you know, what leads people down a certain path to, you know, kind of racial injustices to immigration, to the American original sin. Like there is so much in these films that's worth talking about even if the films themselves are not that great. But, you know, again, I had a great time. I have a feeling that, you know, if you are, I, look, let's be real. If you're of a more conservative persuasion, you will probably hate that movie or you, you'll like parts of it and not others. But look, if you're having a problem with the forever purge, it, it's probably because you're seeing a little too much of yourself in it. fam that felt pretty good to be back at the movies it also felt pretty good to be talking to you look we're kind of back i i again like i said i'm vaccinated movies are coming out there's a lot of stuff coming up that i want to see ranging from black widow marvel's latest adventure to the green knight a a, a authorian tale that i am really 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 excited to see there's going to be stuff popping up that i don't even know about right now um so i am going to be back in theaters i am going to be bringing my thoughts on films back to you so make sure that you are subscribed if you're not already we have a lot of great episodes that are going to be coming up once we hit the fall the show proper will come back a true season three of stay watching 
hopefully I'll have some guests this year. Um, given that we are kind of coming to the end of the pandemic, I'm hoping to be able to record with some people in person, uh, but also maybe finding some opportunities to talk to some people on Zoom about some of the subjects that I want to talk about. So keep an eye on the feed. I'm going to be dropping new episodes most Mondays throughout the rest of the summer, July and August. Hopefully in around mid-September, the show proper will return. So thanks for tuning in. As always, it's been great being able to come back and talk to you all. I hope everybody is safe and healthy. If you have not gotten vaccinated yet, what are you waiting for? Get your vaccination. I, I can't lie. One of the things that's really exciting about going to the movies is being in a full theater. And, you know, while there are pieces of me that are still a bit afraid of that happening, being in an enclosed space with a whole bunch of people right now, especially coming off the back of the pandemic and a lot of people who don't take their health or the health of others seriously. Um, as much as all of that is in the back of my mind, the one thing that I cannot wait for is to be in a crowded theater full of people excited to see movies. There's just something so stellar about that energy and I can't wait to have it back. So as always, stay watching fam. Peace.